both sadly died and went to heaven. And St. Peter at the pearly gates was waiting for them. Come with me, said St. Peter to the taxi driver. And the taxi driver did exactly what he was told, and he followed St. Peter into a mansion. Amazing. It had everything you could imagine. It had a bowling alley to an Olympic-sized pool. Oh, my word, thank you, said the taxi driver. Next, St. Peter led the minister to an old rough shack with a bunk bed and a little old television set. Wait, he says, I I think you're a little mixed up, said the minister. Shouldn't I be the one who gets the mansion? After all, I was an ordained minister, and I let God's people come to church, and I called them to church all the time, and I preached God's word. Yes, that's true, said St. Peter. But during your sermons, people slept. It was when the taxi driver drove that everybody prayed. (laughs) Well, this Lent, uh, I hope that as we pass through it together, you won't sleep through the sermons, but we will think very carefully about what it means to draw close to God and to really pray. The season of Lent is a time for us to take prayer really seriously, and we'll be focusing on it even in Daffodil Day tomorrow when uh, the theme is life-changing prayer. But it's a time for us to draw on spiritual resources. It's a time for spiritual reflection and reading, renewal, listening to God's Word. I like the phrase that Joyce Huggett uses in one of her books. She says it's a time for spiritual spring cleaning. In other words, it's a time for us to do business with God about the way we live our lives, to think about those things that are not quite right and to do with his help something about it, to allow him to actually clean through the cobwebs, to deal with the muck and the dirt and to enable us to be fresh and pure and ready to serve. And of course, as we begin on Ash Wednesday, we begin to think about repentance and faith. And for some, this time of Lent includes the practice of fasting or the discipline of fasting. I wonder how many of you here have ever fasted? Just out of interest, just as some of you have, uh, some of you haven't. But um, for those who haven't, It's about denying yourself food and drink. It's quite different from any kind of dieting before you think that that you can do kill two birds with one stone. It's not about dieting. Uh, It's something to help one's reflection and personal devotion and prayer. Sometimes it's not eating and drinking anything for a time except for water. Sometimes it's just taking certain things out of a diet. And it is to be done very carefully. For example, if we're wanting to improve our prayer and our attention and time with God, it's no good fasting if you're a diabetic or if you've got certain things that might actually cause you more problems if you do it. But if it's something that you're able to do, Self-denial of denying yourself 
something so that when the hunger pains come or you're feeling thirsty for something that you would ordinarily have, you turn your thoughts to prayer and devotion instead. That you allow God to feed you or sustain you and actually to refresh you spiritually. Now, the discipline was a regular practice for uh, stricter Jews uh, for some two days of the week on Monday and Thursdays. It was a regular practice. Not quite as serious as it might sound because it was from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And after 6 p.m., then they would catch up with all they've lost during the day. But they would have actually, during that time, two days a week, they would have had a fast. They had a one-day compulsory fast, for example, on the Day of Atonement, which was Yom Kippur, and a day when the nation confessed its sins and was forgiven its sins as well. But the fasting was again to use that time to turn to God in prayer when you would usually be eating or when there was that reminder when the stomach starts grumbling or the mouth is dry, to turn to the Lord. As I say, it's, if you ever do fast, it's good to do some reading, to do it properly and healthily as well. But fasting has its place in many different cultures and religions. And for Christians, it has the Lord's authority and the Lord's example and teaching. For example, I know uh, our uh, reading that we had today was making a particular point, but at the beginning of Lent, and we had the reading this morning, Jesus fasted. He ate nothing in the wilderness for 40 days and nights at the beginning of his ministry. It was when he needed to do business with his heavenly father. He needed to be close to his heavenly father. He needed to work things out. So he denied himself so that he could draw close. Some of the reformers were very suspicious about fasting. They thought it was a very uh, meritorious uh, thing to do in character, so they neglected it. And uh, Christians seem these days to be returning back to the discipline. I remember as a teenager reading Arthur Wallace's book, God's Chosen Fast, and I found it a very helpful thing to do. And many people today are rediscovering fasting, especially when it's uh, practiced responsibly and quietly, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But I think someone had missed the point when they were thinking about fasting, when they put an event together. The notice on the church bulletin was for a national conference, and their note said, the cost for attending the prayer and fasting conference includes meals. <laughs> I think they got something wrong there. The idea of fasting is to focus on spiritual nourishment, on nothing else, rather than the physical and it really is about becoming in tune with God. And it is also about penitence, about giving something up out of love for God, something that you want to do. That's the whole thing of giving something up for Lent, not just fasting, but actually thinking about those crisps. <laughs> A silly example, 
But some people, they just can't resist them, giving up those crisps because it's a costly thing to do. It's a difficult thing to do. For some people, it might be alcohol. For some people, it might be something else that they do in their lives. And in giving it up, they're saying, Lord, I'm taking you seriously. And I pray as I do this out of love for you, and as I draw close to you, I may open myself to you, to hunger and to thirst of what you have for me. And for other people, it might not be actually giving something up at all. It might be taking something up and doing something. And uh, there are lots of examples of around today of different uh, campaigns where people will decide to do something positive out of love. Uh, I've mentioned before 40 Acts and there are other uh, um, campaigns around which do exactly that. I wonder whether you are making use of this Lent. I know it started on Wednesday, but it's not too late to say, is there something that I could do or do without in order to take things seriously? And if you've come here with a need tonight, you've come for prayers for healing, one of the ways that we can really open ourselves up to God's healing is by really drawing close to him, spending more time with him, spending more time in prayer and reading. And not just for ourselves, but praying for other people as well. So although we have our needs, not just to focus on ourselves, but to deny ourselves the self-interest that we pour upon ourselves sometimes and actually say, I know I'm broken and I know I'm in need, but I'm going to pray for somebody else. Because, you know, God uses wounded healers. Sometimes those who are in need themselves can be the greatest channel of healing to for somebody else. And yet in doing that, you may find a blessing and an answer to your prayers too. Our gospel lesson could appear to cause difficulty when it comes to think about uh, fasting because it points out that the presence of Jesus overrules the practice of fasting. But later, we do hear that fasting became appropriate as well. And it did become a, a practice early in the early church. But I think what this reading is saying is that there is a time and a place for everything. And fasting might not be the right thing for you. And sometimes God is doing a new thing in your life and might want you to do something very new for him. We need to listen to what it is God is wanting you to do this Lent. But one thing we do know, whatever we do, is between us and God. It's not to be ostentatious. If you're fasting, please don't tell other people. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces, said Jesus, to show people that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, Put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to people that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. 
and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's the idea as well of going into your own room and shutting the door to pray rather than demonstrations of prayer before other people. The power is in the private devotion between us and God. And some people find uh, when they do go through uh, the devotional practice of fasting or whatever during Lent, it has a very practical outcome. Sometimes it's linked with almsgiving. And in an age of affluence, it can be an act of solidarity with the poor. That actually during Lent, I'm going to do something generous for those who need it. We're in fair trade fortnight. A reminder to us of those who need to be treated fairly. But also we hear of appeals from Christian aid and others. During this Lent, could it be that when you have denied yourself something, that you use the money that you've set aside from that to give to somebody who really needs it? I've heard of people who've given up buying their cup of coffee in whatever is your favorite coffee store and just using that money to give to somebody who really needs it. And the whole point is that we step into the person's shoes and try to imagine what it's like to be them and not just to put the money in. Because when we commune with God, we commune with the God who sent Jesus into our shoes to know what it was like to be us. And when we give to the poor, it's about allowing ourselves to be broken and to imagine what it's like and to give with love and not just to salve our conscience. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If we follow the way of Jesus, it is the way of self-denial. In our Old Testament lesson, I'll deal with this very quickly, fasting is condemned if, if it is divorced from actions towards human beings. Self-denial is required. So it's no good our fasting and our uh, doing business with God if it doesn't change who we are. And that's what this reading was all about. Is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide for the poor, the poor with shelter when you see the naked clothe him and do not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Someone once said, the spirit of self-denial possesses no value before God unless it be carried into the sphere of social duty. We have to live out our faith. And as we do, we bring healing to others. We commune with God and allow ourselves to be open to healing, and then we become channels of healing in the world to other people. So perhaps this Lent, you might consider trying a day or even a half a day of fasting and prayer, but do some reading about it first. Don't tell anyone unless you really have to. Use it as a holy time of reflection 
Pray for yourself, yes, but pray for others and for the world, those particularly who need healing and wholeness. And perhaps the money you've saved on a meal or a snack, give to those who really need it. But whether we fast or not, may we all come to the cross in humble confession, hungry to be in a right relationship with God through Christ. Let us find there forgiveness for our wrongdoing and healing, together with the challenge to deny ourselves taking up our cross and following. Amen.